You and three friends can attend Woodstock 94 in the Magic Winnebago, an air-conditioned psychedelic motorhome with your own private bathroom, personal chef, sound system, satellite dish, and special parking space backstage. Enjoy all the amenities of home. I've gone to the bathroom twice already, and I'm going again. Bite me! Brought to you by Pepsi, Carefree Sugarless Bubblegum, and Levi's 501 Jeans. With 1,200 security guards, 2,800 portable toilets, 9 miles of chain-link fence, metal detectors, and a canine squad rooting out reefer, times most definitely have changed. This is It Happened One Year, a look back at the events big and small, famed and forgotten from 1994. Hey, everybody. Hello. Welcome to the show. Here we are. We're doing it again. We're doing it again. There was one episode recently where we impersonated each other. And that oh, made yeah. me That was good. Yeah. Every once in a while we come up with those. I, I had thought of coming into this one and pretending like we were a bunch of burned out hippies, but I realized I didn't like tell you that. And I thought I would just be me going, hey, man, <laughs> far out. And you just be like, what are you doing? <laughs> uh, I don't know. I might have put it together. Hey, blood. <laughs> What, 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 what's good? Are you calling people blood? Is that not a thing? I don't think so. I mean, we just had this whole know. discussion about whether people are saying psyched or hyped now. Yeah, I think so, it's hyped. I don't know. Joe learned yesterday picking up our dinner that apparently people just greet each other by calling each other Joe. <laughs> That's what the guy told me. He was, I said, my, I'm here and I got an order for Joe. He's like, Joe, are you from Chicago? And I was like, I'm here, right? <laughs> and he was like, oh, no, people are just saying that now. Like, hey, Joe, what's good, Joe? And I was like. But I am Joe. I didn't. Under- <laughs> I, mean, I didn't understand it. I do say that a lot, but I'm always talking to you. So. You never use me. Call me by yeah, my name. That's, that's a lie. You're yeah. right. No I one does. Yeah. No. Yeah. No. No one All does. I ever get no is one hey, boots, or also hey you. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> Excuse me, stranger. That's all it is. You're like, hey, what's your name? And I'd be like, Joe. I don't know. Like that just doesn't come up. So, uh, well, we're back. We're doing we it are. again. We are here. We are. It happened one year, 1994. We're doing. Wait, we're not doing 1995? We're still doing 94. Do you think we finished 94? There's nothing left to talk about. Yes, it's done. Incorrect. A fair uh, piece of today's episode is going to cover other years, much like when we do, I don't know, like people born in 94 type episodes. (laughs) But the actual event we're going to discuss was in 94. So this is kind of a rare thing for us. That's true. That's true. I mean, with the people born in 94, we just have to describe their birth. And I feel like that's not a very good podcast. That's disgusting. I can tell you almost to a man, everyone's birth is a horrifying story, right? Oh, my God. Yeah. Well, and you're a guy like you've never been at a baby shower or around a pregnant woman for a long period of time. People just tell their stories. And it's like women are disgusting in that way. Yeah. It's just it's my least favorite thing. Like It does seem pretty. Do you want to hear about my 18 hours of labor and my episiotomy? No, I don't. I don't want to hear that. Oof. No. Hard Gross. pass. Maybe at some point we could have your uh, your friend Ashley on to talk about when she gave birth in that car. Okay. Hers is the only birth story that I not only like for her to tell, but I make her tell frequently. Yeah. I just don't see how that relates to the podcast. If we could come up with something 94 wise, we could do it, but I don't, I, so far we're, we would have to do what it happened one year, 2019. <laughs> That'd <laughs> yeah. be it. That's exactly what we would have to do. Yeah. So if you've tuned in, you already know what we're going to talk about. So I guess, I guess that's enough small talk. 
<laughs> Let's talk about the topic. You're the barometer as far as have we done enough small talk? Uh, I, the answer is always yes. We've done yeah, plenty. You, let's no matter how, ma- how much we've done. So uh, what I we didn't really discuss, uh, I think, a lot. We talked about what we're going to talk about, which is the Woodstock concert from 1994. Yeah, but we didn't surprising. really talk about a lot of the stuff around that coming no. into this. Do you have a romanticized vision of the original Woodstock? Like, does the does the original Woodstock live in your memory in sort of a magical way, like it does I, some people? Yeah, I mean, I think because I remember I was watching MTV in 94 and 99 quite a bit when they were talking about the new Woodstocks. Da, da, da. I think so. I mean, look, I don't think about it that much. I only have really recently gotten into like on my own listening to music from that era. I really only would when you would like I was never a an oldies kind of person. They were oldies to me growing up and things um, like I didn't go through my my 70s rock face like I think you did. And so so I mean, as much as anyone did, I would say yes. I basically assumed it to be peace and love and what I would have thought it to be. So I have learned. But I did also see the other two happen, especially 99 in real time. So I wouldn't say I've, I've held that romanticized ideal for long because I I understand what can happen when you put that many people in a field and make them listen to music for two days with drugs and alcohol. Fair, fair. Yeah. I mean, I think to some degree, 94 and 99, 94 to a lesser degree, but 99 for sure did sully everyone's memory of the entire, the entire, I guess, franchise of a concert that it was. But for me, I mean, the 69 Woodstock really does, you know, is this magical thing to me, even though, you know, you see that documentary and, you hear the stories of it. I would never have wanted to go to that. Like it sounds horrible yeah. to be at because it's again, it's still a physically tough concert to go to because you're there for so long. Oh my god! And I just can't imagine why anybody would want to do that. And the same thing, honestly, with '94, '99. Obviously, no one would go to in in hindsight that would, no one would want to be have been there. But I don't think that '69 holds up the same way. But also, it's it's because of when it was right. It's at the end of the '60s and coming out of all of that, and the summer of love of '67, and all of that kind of stuff. It all built up in a lot of ways to Woodstock. Yeah. So I can see then why people have this rosy look at what it was like. Yeah. Even though, again, it was a physically grueling thing. I think for people to be at. And wasn't it more or less the first festival of its kind? Like, had, had anything like that ever really happened before? I, I'm not aware of a big multi-day festival like that. Like, there were day-long festivals that were famous-ish that were before that. The Monterey Pop Festival, I think, is the one that most people would point to. And that was 67. But again, that wasn't multiple days around the clock like Woodstock yeah. was. Where there, like, I'm guessing there was there were periods where people weren't playing because I don't see how the hell it could have gone all the time. And people were also camping there, but you know, there are stories about the who playing when the sun was rising. Like that's kind of the famous thing in the, in the, the documentary too, is like them with this, with this going on in the background. Yeah. So, you know, I, I don't, uh, I don't, I don't know of something like that. I'm, I imagine something might've happened, but not with that many people and not in that way. Yeah. Where they say a half a million people were there or some, some crazy number. And you look at that video and there are just people, everywhere the, oh so the horizon God. in all directions it was just crazy yeah. so yeah. yeah even in the new ones like the videos are insane and we're we've been to many Lollapaloozas yeah. and that's a lot of people but like nothing like the number of people that that no. were there and and at one stage i think right. is the thing that's so amazing right and the, that's the thing is that the original woodstock i believe is just the one stage so like figured that there's there was no overlap where like you had to choose yeah. between things 94 and 99 both have multiple stages and 99, especially the stages were so far apart that that led to a lot of the issues. Yeah. But 94, 
I think a lot of the even the things that like they came out about who really emerged from Woodstock 94 as like a big band or whatever was partly because they were either on the smaller stage and they hadn't really, you know, caught on in the same way yet. So there were choices that had to be made if you were there where you would think like, oh, if you were there, you must have seen Green Day or you must have seen Nine Inch Nails. But it didn't really work out that way. Like when we've gone to Lollapalooza and we've had to sort of choose between the North stage and the South stage. Yeah. But like, what was the biggest Lollapalooza crowd we were ever in? Like, I think we've looked this up and I, I heard an answer that I didn't believe at the time, but now I can't I even remember what that was. I would have guessed Eminem just because that was the one that was on the South stage. And in the South stage, I think it's probably where you can fit the most people. And it, yeah. people seem to go all the way to the back, which yeah. most of the bands you see at the South stage don't. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was trying to think like it, it had the South stage is the bigger field. So it has to be that. And that is the main stage. I mean, that that is I think yeah. the headliners always are on that the main headline. But like the Lady Gaga crowd was huge. Oh, yeah. The outcast crowd was really big. Like the big headliners tend to be that way, but I couldn't think of one that was like distinctively like this is the yeah. for sure biggest crowd I was ever in. And even then at Lollapalooza, they say I think the biggest it ever gets is like 120,000 in a day, something like that. Yeah. And some of those people are at the North stage. So, you know. yeah. So we're talking a crowd that's six times as big. Yeah. <laughs> like just it's, it's insane. Yeah. It's just crazy. It's insane. But the original Woodstock does have a lot of issues like you know they go back and point to it and be like oh it was all this like peace and harmony but there's a lot of stuff that came out of that where they said like people were still disgruntled at the price of food like basic stuff it was hard to get water and it was a grueling thing and people died and you know there were a lot of problems with it yeah it's just a lot of that has gotten whitewashed over the years yeah even in the 90s or like now given what we know about festivals and how to run them like but that's always kind of the case. Like the, the, you really need to do a lot of work to make sure that that many people in the heat can get water when they need to. It's really hard, especially in a field in the middle of what is kind of nowhere in upstate New York. Right. Cause you're not really near a city. And that's all that's been the problem with every other with every Woodstock really is that they're not yeah. really near a big town so that people if you could leave to get stuff, it's conveniently nearby because none of these are in any kind of real cities. So the yeah. original Woodstock was in Bethel, which is right near Woodstock and yeah that's nearish New York City right we then we look this up it's like yeah if they're all in the same basic area it's yeah. like between New York City and Albany yeah so it's like I think it was like 70 ish miles from New York City so pretty close yeah. and then Woodstock 94 was in Saugerties which is another I want to say 30 miles north of that hmm. and Woodstock 99 was in Rome which is more towards the middle of the state but still on that side of the state yep so that was the way, but odd that none of them were in the same place. And then why the locations were chosen over time is also kind of an interesting thing. So, yeah. uh, but just to wrap up 69, you know, it, it is something that I've always really liked. I really like that soundtrack. Uh, I don't watch the documentary a lot because it is like four hours long. So it's, it's a tough watch, but just lineup wise and the bands that were there, uh, I skipped my, my graduate school graduation to go see Richie Havens play in a park in downtown Wilkes-Barre <laughs> because yep. it was the same time on the same day and it was free and I was like well I'm gonna go see Havens for free freedom 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 I mean, it's funny that there are so many, I don't think there's anything like this in a number of ways, but one of the ways is that there's so many like iconic performances that just happened there um, that yep. you remember. Like, I mean, that, I mean, everyone talks about Jimi Hendrix and the Star Spangled Banner and not only big acts, but like big like performances. It became a are, big concert recording and then yeah. the documentary was a big, big hit in 1970. So 
I think that that helped why Woodstock lived the way it did. It also was immediately followed by the Rolling Stones free concert at Altamont, which was a disaster Ew. where the, the Hell's Angels killed people and things got really out of hand. So like, yeah, in a lot of ways, it's seen as the end of the 60s, like the end of the peace love 60s was Woodstock in a lot of ways. And yeah. then the final nail basically was Altamont. And that's kind of how it's always framed. So Woodstock 69 yeah. lives in the memory forever and inspires everything else that's to come. Yes. Was cool. It was, was cool. cool. I think that I think you can sum it up well with it was a cool event with yeah. a lot of groovy people doing a lot of acid. That the brown acid that is circulating around us is not specifically too good. Uh, it's suggested that you do stay away from that. Of course, it's your own trip. So be my guest. Just <laughs> great times in upstate New York. Way to go, folks. So uh, what I do think is interesting that I, I didn't really know. I I was not really aware of before we really got into researching this and recently have been watching a lot of these documentaries is that everybody talks about Woodstock 94 as though this was the next Woodstock. Like there was Woodstock and then there was Woodstock 94, which again, isn't in the yeah. same place and only basically involves some of the same people. Yeah. But there were other Woodstock concerts that nobody really talks about. I'm guessing because they weren't really that big. They weren't like major, major events and they weren't for the most part held in the same location. But there was a concert in 79 that was the Woodstock 79 concert, but it was in Madison Square Garden. Um, and <laughs> it's like the it opposite was, of where Woodstock is. <laughs> right. It was nowhere. It's not out in the middle of nowhere. It's in the middle of Manhattan. Like it's right there. But they did have a lot of the old acts there. Uh, they just called it. It wasn't called Woodstock 79 at the time that they later put out like a I think a video version of it in yeah. the, down the road, but it was just called uh, 10 years later celebration, 10 years later. Um, but it had Richie Havens was there. Country Joe and the fish was there. Uh, canned heat, you know, a, a stills was there. Like there were a lot of people from the original Woodstock. They put out a soundtrack to it. Like it was the whole thing. Right. Yeah. At the same time, there was a Woodstock reunion concert, which was held on long Island. Now, I don't know why, because again, this isn't where the concerts were. <laughs> so why they kept doing this, but not doing it out at the farm at Max Yeager's farm? I don't know. Yeah. Like, but it, that was in yeah. that was on Long Island, and Canned Heat was there. Richie Havens was there. Patrick <laughs> McDonald. Give me a you. I think I can make a a guess as to why mm. um, they would do this. Money. Oh yeah, it was money. Yeah. They were they these things that were all being held in giant venues and stuff clearly being done for money. Oh yeah, uh, I think that that was you know, and it was ten years later, and it, like it's a nice kind of a neat you know wrap up type thing. But then uh, the one that I think is really the overlooked one was, as you can guess, Woodstock '89, which <laughs> which did take place at the original <laughs> site. Now was Woodstock in the '80s like Devo and like. Well, no, just like all electronic music. I know? mean, that would have been great is if they could have gotten <laughs> together just random bands of the day and be like, and this is Woodstock. But these were all really like reunions of the original group from Woodstock. None of this was like, let's also bring in, you know, White Snake and then we're going back to Bob Dylan. Like, it's not it's that Cindy Lauper in there. Right. Like, that wasn't what it was. It was really like, can we get any of these old acts from the 60s and do this concert? Woodstock 89 was a lot more like the original Woodstock than any of the other ones, really. Like, it was free. Uh, even if, I think it was always intended basically to be free. I think they wanted to charge people for parking. But the original Woodstock was supposed to, I believe, be a, a paid event that then they just couldn't control the crowd. And it went from 100,000 people to 500,000 people. And then they were just like, well, it's free, you know. 
but 89, like this was, a, I guess, kind of a fly by night affair where they were like, we should put it together, but like they couldn't really get anybody to come out and play there. So it's kind of like local acts. <laughs> and, you know, Melanie was there who was at the original Woodstock. Uh, Savoy Brown was there. I mean, not not the major Woodstock act, but uh, still, you know, it was something. I want to say, yeah, this is the one where Al Hendricks, Jimi Hendrix's father, turned up. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if he played. I don't know what he did there, but that was there. And I I believe there is also a, a video or a soundtrack to that strange event. Oh, my God. If you wanted to hunt down Woodstock 89. So what you're saying is the, the song Safety Dance was probably never played at a Woodstock. It's certainly not at one of these random reunion Woodstocks. I guess it's possible. It was at 99 had a lot of random stuff happen there. So it's possible <laughs> somebody rolled out the safety dance. I think that that could have happened. So these were the, I think the ones that are completely forgotten. Woodstock 79, Woodstock 89. There, yeah. there are videos that exist. They were sort of these mini reunions. They had some decent-ish crowds, but again, they were held in like fairly large-ish places. Yeah. And to do something like that. I, I think the like commercialization of Woodstock and like this, the posters and the CDs and the, the documentaries and the set, you know, it, it just, it's so interesting to me because it work, seems to work kind of counter to the like peace, love, rebellion kind of attitude that yeah. I feel like Woodstock has it, where it feels much more like, you know, peace, love and capitalism. Like, right. Well, that's, I, just, I think the funny thing is that the nineties concerts were put on by the same people who put on the original one, but they had now become these like, you know, older, middle-aged, you know, capitalists, yeah. essentially. And they are re- very much responsible for everything that goes wrong. Oh, with 100%. The, with the 90s Woodstocks. Yeah. Yeah. So you get to Woodstock 94. Now this is like, we're going to do Woodstock right. So they, they plan it this big event. They're going to do two days. And then they ended up adding the third day because they realized the, the interest just from the bands to be there. Yeah. And what what's your reaction? We watched the oh, I think the whole documentary, uh, the ni- Woodstock 94 documentary. Yeah. Um, what What is your big takeaway from that? Because it's not much like the original Woodstock as a documentary, but it didn't seem that bad, really. Yeah. I mean, it seemed look if I I haven't seen the original Woodstock documentary, so I probably know more about 94, 99 than 6994. But I would say like it seems like like if there was a way that it was going to go right and mostly fine, that was 94. And 99 was if it was going to go completely horribly. And and I think 94 could have easily been 99, but wasn't for any random set of circumstances or reasons. You know, I mean it was like crazy muddy and everyone was just cooler like everyone was cooler i mean i'm sure there were lots of people who weren't cool and i'm sure lots of bad stuff happened but as a whole people were just cooler the bands were cooler like and i don't mean like that in terms of like they were hip but they were just like more laid back take things in stride like deal with the rain there was an announcement on the documentary we were watching where they said like oh everyone's got to get away from the porta potties so that we can clear them because you can't use them right now and yeah and so like but nothing major went wrong. What strikes me about both of those compared to the lineup of 69 is while this wasn't really clear, it was only sort of clear in the documentary. As you read articles about it, all that they talk about is the, is like the hard rock and the metal bands, like it's Metallica and it's nine inch nails and it's green day. And it's when in 94, like you also had, I, I don't know the details on exactly when, so I'm talking like era wise, but you also had like the Lilith Fair festivals, which were the complete opposite, but like had a, a major kind of following and were very 
successful. And so the fact that they chose this kind of like relatively niche, like rock music that didn't really feel like a peace and love kind of vibe and try and turn it into the same festival like a celebration of that festival is just so, I mean, there were exceptions, of course, like there were certainly bands at 94. I think there were people who were even at the original Woodstock, like that would have fit the, the kind of peace love thing, but it does seem like the tone starts to shift in 94 to get you to 99. And I just, I think that's so interesting in terms of the journey that they went on. I think the thing that was interesting with the original Woodstock's lineup was that even though everybody remembers it as this very like hippie time. And I mean, it was, I mean, for the most part, there's not a lot of bands that jut out from that, but there were like some real rock funk kind of bands that were there. And then a lot of folk music, which, you know, so you had this kind of mellow vibe, like you sold the who, who the who does this crazy live show at that point. And this was coming right off of Tommy. So like, they're still doing that show essentially, but you also had Sly and the family stone was there, which was doing like, serious rock music but opposite then you have you know Joan Baez and things like that so the the 69 show is a little varied but it's all pretty cool it would have been hard for them to find bands I think that would have been real aggressive and tough in 69 like there's some I guess but you hadn't really gotten into like even like Led Zeppelin rock yet at that point yeah so yeah not to any serious levels so and like even in terms of like like 70s rock like the who they did have this crazy live show like they were a rock band lots of those bands were rock real rock bands but like it doesn't have the like the anger like rage of the of even the lyrics and the content of some of the songs of those bands in the 90s that like you just didn't see really in the seventies that I can recall, like not until you get to the end of the seventies with like real, when real punk music comes in. Yeah. There really just was, I mean, I'm sure it existed. Like everything has some sort of little origin somewhere, but not in the mainstream. Like this was really fringe stuff. And it, it think it took a long time for that to come around, but like the 94 lineup, like I think it does kind of try to balance, yeah, you know, bands from the sixties and then also popular bands of the time. And so that's why you end up with the balance that you do. And so for the most part, the 94 show seems to be pretty cool. Like there's a lot of moshing and stuff. And again, it rained <laughs> the whole weekend. So it is disgusting. And you do end up with a lot of people just muddy and just sliding around and doing whatever, but everybody seemed to be having a pretty good time and it never got that out of hand. The other key thing to remember about 94 compared to 99 is that because of the rain, it never got that hot. Like, yes, it was hot, but it wasn't that hot. Like they all took place in an August. So they were all warm. But yeah, the 99 show is in 100 degree heat the whole time on an army base that doesn't have any trees. So yeah. like there was nowhere to go. If we're just directly comparing 94 to 99, I would say that's the main thing yeah. that really causes the meltdown in 99 outside of the bands you have and all the bros who showed up. But as far as 90, 69 to 94, in the documentary we watched, they showed some of the old bands who had turned up, like Crosby, Stills, and Young. Bob Dylan wasn't at the original Woodstock, but he is at 94, mm-hmm. so he's got that throwbacky thing. But you also had Santana was there, uh, the band was there, uh, Country Joe McDonald, who shows yep. up apparently whenever he's needed at these things. <laughs> Um, the, the Almond Brothers were there. The Almond Brothers were there. So, uh, some people from Jefferson Airplane were there. Like there were some people from The Grateful Dead were there. So like they had a lot of throwbacky bands, but they were there again. There were a bunch of stages in '94. So or there were at least two. There yeah. were a bunch of stages in '99. 
Yeah, but it, there, there were, I know, think so there were only two stages in 94. Yeah, so I think that the documentary really doesn't, I mean, it shows a song by a bunch of different bands, but it doesn't show you a song by everybody. And I think they cut out a lot of those trying yeah. to get this to sell to the, the people of the time, even if they did include bands that I'd never heard of, like Jackal. <laughs> so, yeah. But yeah, so like, I think that there was more of a balance in the 94 show yeah definitely than the 99 show and more so even than the than the 69 show they could have put other different types of bands in 69 and and so they went they leaned pretty good into just rock and folk and that seemed to work so yeah yeah Um, and they also had oh they had stage called rave stock which mm. is much like the perry stage they have a little clues where it's like dance music which they had in 99 too and is so interesting to me as a like addition to the to woodstock well, also, the 99 have, one, that's like an all was on all night thing, right? Yeah. I don't 94 didn't have that, right? It didn't well, go I on mean, all the time, did it? I don't I don't know if it went on all the time, but they did have like a lineup that is pretty robust. So huh. it is the number of bands. Yeah. Perry's so, at Lollapalooza was always weird early in the day. <laughs> yes. Because like, it's sunny outside, but then there's also like lights and raves and it just, you know, I know the only time we ever wandered in there, I think we're at night. Because yeah, when we would walk by it during the day, it just looked ridiculous. It was like, we can't, we can't <laughs> yeah, do that. I, I mean, we didn't belong there at night either. But during the day, no. we, it was just like, this is ridiculous. So, yeah. You know, and then the 94 show, the show itself, the, the bands that really, I think, are always talked about for their 94 shows. Green Day is the main one because Green yeah. Day, Dookie had just come out and this they really hadn't even caught on yet in a, in a major way. Like they had songs, but it wasn't they weren't Green Day yet. Yeah. And then they're often credited with their with their Woodstock show as being what put them over the top. Yeah, um, well, so one way. of the stories I was reading was saying that part of that was because they like start like fans were throwing and we could see this in the documentary where like they were throwing kind of chunks of mud on the stage, not yeah. in like a throw fruit at them because they're doing badly kind of way, but just because yeah. you know to do it. They were throwing so, mud at a lot of bands. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so Green Day, I got I guess started throwing mud back to them, and they yeah. started like a mud fight. And yeah. so I think part they say that it wasn't just the performance, but like that kept playing on MTV and like kept you know. Like, yeah. It was such I, a cool moment. I was surprised that's not in the documentary because I yeah. remember that. Like I remember seeing like Billy Joe Armstrong throwing these big like clods of mud back into the crowd. Yeah. And that's not in the documentary. Like you see they're muddy, like something has clearly happened, but they're just playing a song. Like they're not, yeah. they're not involved in that. So I was surprised that that's not in there. Yeah. Considering how famous a moment this became. The other story I was reading, I think was about nine inch nails. And the idea was that they actually had a mud fight backstage, like yeah. among the band. So when they came out on stage, they were like real muddy, even yeah. though they must've gone on at like, two in the morning it was late um, based on the bands that are around them so i i think that's hilarious it's another thing that in the documentary is really out of place because you just parachute into their performance (laughs) and trent reznor is just covered in mud and just and looks wet and just gross and you're like what happened like it's not actively raining at that point so you're like why did this happen but (laughs) the way the story i was reading framed it is that they were nervous (laughs) and so they were like one of the band members like threw a piece of mud at the drummer to just be like you know don't be nervous like caught the tension yeah. and the guy just gave him a lighthearted fuck you and threw mud back at him and then the yeah. whole band just had a mud fight nice. and that sounds awesome that's pretty fun it does seem based on what i can tell that 94 did have more women in the lineup than 99 which i think I was, had was that what you were gonna say i was just gonna say yeah <laughs> which i think had two so there was wait a minute there was jewel there was yeah. alanis morissette and yep. was that it in 99 I feel like there was somebody else, but I can't think who it was. I remember it being a very small number. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, here you don't have many more. You do have 
Um, Melissa Etheridge, you've got Cheryl Crow. Was Cheryl mm-hmm. Crow at 99? I don't, I don't think I don't so. Remember. And there might have been other bands that had female members, but so other than Salt and Peppa and the Cranberries, there's no one else that I know has a female in the band, unless you're talking about the Ravestock stage. And that's actually how I found out about Ravestock is like D-Light was on the Ravestock stage. Yeah. And there's there are women in D-Light. Right. The only other thing I saw was, I believe, at one of the minor stages was the Sisters of Glory, which were like a, I don't know, a rock gospel group. Oh. Maybe just a straight gospel group. But like Thelma Houston was in it and CeCe Peniston, like they were a real band. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yep. Yeah. And they were there. But I mean, still, that is already way more than what they had in 99. Yeah. There wasn't a ton of diversity, I think, otherwise. There weren't a lot of black acts in 94 at uh, at Woodstock. I don't think there were a lot of black acts in 99 either, right? No, like DMX no. was there, but there wasn't a um, lot. But like at least in um, at least in 94, you had uh, the Neville brothers were there. Yeah. And well, salt and pepper, I guess. Yep. Yikes. Yikes. Well, Gil Scott Heron was there again in in but like this was part of this other part of the show that they don't show anywhere in the documentary. Like Gil Scott Heron was there, Country Joe McDonald, John Sebastian. They showed a bit of Paul Rogers because he was there with Slash, which struck me as a weird thing. Um, but I guess maybe <laughs> Paul Rogers is the only person left from Bad Company. I don't know, but it, it seemed odd. Uh, Jimmy Cliff was there, who we saw at a riot fest once. Yes, we did. So Jimmy Cliff was there. So like they had, you know, there was it was a little more spread out than. The just unrelenting rage against the machine, limp biscuit, you know, uh, 99 yeah. show. So, I mean, that's the thing is in 99, they took that white male rage like music <laughs> and just made that Woodstock basically. Yeah, yeah. Like, it really, they took what you could see happening in 94 with some of the lineup and they like pull it felt like they, to me, like they pulled some of the balance out of it and said, like, let's just make these these young white guys mad. Yeah. Um, yeah. Let's amp up their rage. And and the other thing that seemed to happen in 94, and I think this goes back to the, like, it just hinged on a few people being cool is that the bands were cooler. Like they yeah. tried to help the crowd. They like engage playfully with the crowd. They didn't amp up the crowd to do bad shit. And that's what happened in 99 is right. like some of the bands. What was the one that when we were watching the documentary, they, they kind of said like, it's not his fault, but it is kind of his fault. Well, I mean, the guy who ran the show, who I guess is kind of hard to really trust, mostly blamed Fred Durst, but also the yeah. Chili Peppers, because they neither of them really helped the situation. Yeah. And they were in a very pivotal part of the whole show where yeah. things were really starting to go wrong. As you can see, if you look behind you, we have a bit of a problem. So the fire department's going to have to come in with a fire truck to put the fire out. Who was the band that like saw the fire starting in 99 and then sang a song about fire? That was the Chili Peppers. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That they sang the, the Hendrix song. You want to do it? You want to do it? <laughs> but, but again, they didn't realize, I think from where they were, their vantage point, they don't realize what exactly is going on out there. Like, yeah. the fires weren't near the stage. The other stage was on fire, but that's really far away. <laughs> And I don't think you can even see it from that stage. I think they both pointed in more or less the same direction. But the other fires that were in the crowds were pretty far away. So I don't know that they realized what exactly that was going to do. I I don't want to give them a pass. Like, they probably should have been cooler, but... Yeah, um, but it was a a bad choice. It was a bad choice. I mean, there was some evidence, I think, in the documentary, too, that the 
organizers or promoters or someone was saying to the band, like, you need to help with this. Yeah. At least that was true of, of Fred Durst. I, yeah. I'm pretty sure they said that they asked him to calm the crowd down and he was like, nah. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting to listen to, like, to get to get into the whole 99 thing. Like it's interesting yeah. to listen to Fred Durst's arguments for why this happened, but like, you can, I can kind of see it. I mean, these people are there to see Limp Biscuit. He's like, we're going to do a Limp Biscuit show. Yeah. And like Limp Biscuit in 99, I know Limp Biscuit's ridiculous now, but like in 99, this is their persona. This is who they were. I don't know yeah. if them coming out and being like, hey guys, maybe you could be cooler. Like, would that have played with this yeah. super angry audience? I don't know. Like, no, I totally agree with that. It's the, it's the organizer's fault for putting together a playlist of relentless rage for, for hours, hours and hours. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. after days in the sun of people camping in the middle. Yeah. Right. On, with on, this yeah. overpriced food and like the horrible conditions and just everything that piles yes. up in 99. Like, Honestly, 99 in a lot of ways reminds me of of the Stones Altamont show. Even though yeah. the Stones Altamont show isn't a multi, you know, day affair, there were a lot of other bands and it, the organization was really bad. It doesn't have yeah. the same sort of problems as far as the actual facilities that the the 99 Woodstock has, but yeah. just the the couple choices they made that totally slide the whole thing into disaster uh, are yeah. are similar-ish, you know, as far as just security and not being able to keep everybody cool like you know and they stones try you watch that documentary wow i don't know what that's not okay. oh it's gimme shelter it is it's gimme shelter so <laughs> that documentary come on uh, man very good <laughs> <wrong with> you? <laughs> oh, i haven't man. even seen it i kept thinking it's, is it called sympathy for the devil it's not called sympathy for the devil yeah it's yeah. gimme shelter but yeah they they you in that documentary you can see they're trying to help but yeah by that point you know i think it was already kind of yeah. a lost cause but that's what reminds me of it. But also like 94 has touches of that. Like you can see there are problems and it's just, they yeah. fixed the wrong problems for 99, right? Yeah. Like the organizers, what they saw as the problem was people got into this concert for free. So I yeah. know what we're going to do. We're going to put it at an army base with yeah. just tarmac and just concrete between these miles of stages yeah. to make the whole thing more and more miserable. Like in 99, yeah. you see people just laying underneath cars because they're just trying to like not be it's out in the so heat. Terrible. And the just, only like safety lot argument there is I, is I remember reading that they were concerned about how do we keep these people hydrated and give them facilities yeah. for if you have 150,000 more. But they brought by Saturday night in 94, they had they had gotten they had acquired more porta potties and like they had tried to accommodate. Right? right. And in 99, even as you hear the people talk about it leading up to it, the organizers, they were just like, we wanted to make sure that everybody paid. Right. That was and, it. That's not great. They're like, we got these giant fences. We built this whole wall. Yeah. And that was, that was the takeaway they got from 94. Even though yeah. like you go to music festivals now, we go to Lollapalooza's. I never understood why there was such a push to pick up garbage. Like you go there and everybody is telling you to pick up garbage. Like yeah. there's like, a, you can pick up, if you get a bag of, of yeah. cans, oh, that's right. they'll give you a free t-shirt. Like, and, and you see people doing this the whole time you're there. Yeah. And it always struck me as weird. Like, I don't, I don't get that. Like, there's garbage cans everywhere. Like, why would you need to do this? And I think yeah. this is the lesson you learn from, from these big festivals, you know? Yeah. How many water stations there are of just, like, free water. Like, yep. there is expensive water you can buy at festivals. Yeah. But there's also free water if you have an empty bottle or something, which they'll let you, yeah. you know, take in. So yeah. it's trying to learn from your mistakes. But figured, yeah. you know, 94 Woodstock, how many big festivals were there before that, you know? Yeah. Lollapalooza was still a touring festival at that point. I don't think they had set roots yet. 
Yeah. Um, and then everything Coachella and um, Bonnaroo and everything comes later. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, the interesting thing in watching the 99 documentary was that water and beer cost the same, which is not the case. Anymore. Crazy. <laughs> like, that is crazy. Like, and, and they were saying like, oh, I'm a 21 year old kid or 19 year old kid, whatever. Like, obviously, I'm going to use those four dollars to get a beer and not yeah. to get water. Like, yeah. 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 I think the, they sell that boxed water. I don't think they sell bottles of water at Lollapalooza yeah, yeah, yeah. and that box water is like it's probably a couple bucks like it's more than it should be but beers are yeah. 11 yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that's the, totally. the wisdom of their marketing as it should be honestly like yeah. i hate over like i think it's so dumb how much markup there is on on like liquor and stuff in bars but like yeah. at a music festival in the heat like you should be charging people for beer because you don't want people drinking 15 beers right. and then trying to survive the day. <laughs> I was always amazed when you'd see a real drunk person at Lollapalooza. You'd be like, yeah. what are you doing? It was so expensive to get in here. Yeah. Why did you come in and just get hammered? Like you'd see people hammered at three in the afternoon. Yeah. You'd be like, you've got all day, you know, like, <laughs> what are you doing? Like, Joe and Jack I would White get doesn't like, go on for seven hours. Like, what are you talking about? Like, Joe and I would get one beer, like a tall beer that we would call our headliner beer for the headliner. Every, that was it. Yeah. And that was headliner it. beer. The rest yeah. of the day, I'm just trying to eat rainbow cones. I like, <laughs> I would do nothing else. Like I'm just there to get like a sandwich and, a, and I drink six bottles of water. Like, you know, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it's wild. I, I never, never understood that, but I could never do one of those big stay there festivals for one reason alone. And it is the porta potties. Like I already like, okay, we've basically aged out a Lollapalooza, so we're not going back, but we went every year for a number of years. And how many did we go to seven? I think we went to like, I went, we went to at least a day of eight or nine of them. Yeah. Yeah. So it was was so much fun, but like, I, I loved going, but the only reason that I, that that was even okay is that Joe is lovely and he would always go into the porta potty before me. So he'd stand in line before me. He'd take in the wipes and he'd like make sure it was like not terrible. It yep. was really nice. I didn't have to sit down in the porta potty. So <laughs> I realized the differences where I don't have to touch literally anything or you have to touch everything. And I was like, I'll, I'll I can take care of this. Yeah. yeah it was really yeah. nice. But that's the only reason. Like I could never like yeah. it, as a 37 year old lady, I could never do that. I would be curious. I don't, again, I don't want to go to another Lollapalooza. I believe the last Lollapalooza we went to was 2018, 2019. We went to like a day. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that I remember posting somewhere, this was baby's last Lollapalooza because I just couldn't <laughs> yes. take it anymore. But yeah. when this year, so there was no Lollapalooza last year because of the pandemic, but this year it just happened. What? Two weeks ago. Yeah. And we would, we live right near where Lollapalooza takes place. We live right across from Grant Park, essentially. So when we go for walks or go running or whatever, we'll go over there. And walking recently, while they were setting it up still, like it takes them, I don't know, 10 days, two weeks to set up. Yeah, They did already have the porta potties installed and the porta potties had actual plumbing involved yeah. now. Like there was a, this whole system. So I would be curious to see like, how does that actually work? Like, yeah. I don't know what it was hooked up to. I don't know how it actually functioned. Cause up until this point, it was literally porta potties that they had to empty yeah. every night. And by eight, nine o'clock, they were horrifying. Well, but I wonder though, if those ones that we saw, cause you couldn't, the, where we saw them, it, sometimes it's hard, even though we're in Grant Park all the time to like lay Lollapalooza on top of the Grant Park to geography. To keep it in your head where things yeah, are. Yeah. Just because it looks so different when you're in yeah. it. But, but I do wonder if what we saw were the VIP toilets and they, oh, they makes me been. wonder we yeah. should maybe try VIP one year. Like, just yeah. give it a shot. Do it once. Yeah. I, you know, like, I would do it maybe for it. It's so expensive. But, like, so expensive. I'd be curious what the experience is. Like, the, yeah. the VIP viewing platforms are so far away from the stages. I'm like, is this really anything? Is this worth a while? But I think the food and booze is included. So that's the occasion where you go and get hammered because <laughs> gratis. It's all included. Yes. yes. 
maybe someday. I don't know. This year we had, I mean, again, the pandemic removed us from ever having to make this decision. Oh, the lineup no did a piece of that too this year, but yeah. just, there was no interest for us and just have aged so far out of all of yes. that. But I, you know, for a couple of years, we were real festival people. I really wanted to go to some other ones because some of them yeah. have really cool lineups, like the Firefly one and Outer yeah. Lim- Outer Outer Lands. Outer Lands. What's that one in San Francisco? Outer Lands. Uh, Outer Land. I, I can't. Outer Lands. I think that's right. Men in Hats. Yeah, I think that's right. <laughs> South by Southwest has a good, like there were a bunch of lineups I thought were cool, but yeah, uh, we might. I mean, I don't know if we're ever going to a concert again at this point, but you know. <laughs> Yeah. If we do, I don't know that we're going to a festival. I just, I don't, <laughs> in I don't know. In 10 years when the coronavirus is finally gone, hopefully. Yeah. Like, yeah. I'll see you at Lollapalooza 2024 and then we'll see what comes. <laughs> okay. So takeaway from, to come, bring us back to Woodstock. Yeah. Isn't it interesting that Woodstock, because it has this big modern festival feel 50 years ago and now yeah. 27 years ago, the ones that worked that they could not keep that going. I mean, I realize yeah. 99 melts down the way it does and that spoils the whole thing. Yeah. But 99 is five years after 94 and 94 by all accounts was a pretty good festival, right? Yeah. So I just, I isn't it weird think- that they scuttled all of that goodwill in a lot of ways? Yeah. I, I don't remember what it was like, but I feel like 99 went so badly that even in, in retrospect now we can say like, oh, you know, it seems like, they could have gotten over that faster. Mm. I mean, the other part of that is it seemed like the kinds of partnerships they needed to have just didn't have faith in them anymore. So like Woodstock was so hyped by MTV, but the footage of like Carson Daly trying to like report live from Woodstock and just getting destroyed by the festival goers. They just, I think they screwed it up too badly, honestly. And if I'm MTV, I'm not sending my people back there. And if I'm MTV, I'm not going to give them airtime. Like, I'm not going to support that because, you know, I don't trust them to put on another good festival. Yeah. I mean, I I think part of that whole argument that that documentary made was this idea that, you know, MTV at that point had started catering to too many different audiences. And so, you know, as it's skewering younger and younger with your, in 99, with your Britney Spears and your NSYNC and things like that, that the audience for any other type of music was so mad at MTV that they had no business being there. And I think you can make the case that MTV probably shouldn't have been involved in Woodstock anyway. Woodstock should have been an older thing. All festivals should be, right? Like there's kids of Palooza at Lollapalooza where they just have whatever that is with children's music or whatever, but it's not geared towards them, you know? Like that's just for parents to have somewhere to drop off their kids while they get drunk and watch the arcade fire like that's just what that is but if you could have kept that going and make the festival more of a you know a centralized thing as opposed to let's try to get as many people here as we can which is kind of what Lollapalooza is turning into like we'll keep getting a a wide variety of music but to the point that like any one person only wants to see two different bands because yeah the, the the tastes are too much you know yeah so it just strikes me as odd that like they had the jump they were the name thing and then managed to squander the whole thing. I mean, yeah. again, 99, I understand. But it just seems like now that was so long ago that they would have been able to get it together. They did try to do a festival two years ago, the 50th anniversary festival. Yep. And then apparently canceled it at the last minute when they couldn't get, I don't know. I, I'm not even really sure if they couldn't get the sales up or they couldn't sign the bands to do it. But it seemed like kind of a natural thing that they could have done that, right? I thought it was a location issue, but oh, I could be wrong. It could be. Um, I would still think they would have been able to find that. Like, because we're getting to the end of that group. Like, everybody who played at the original Woodstock, that's a thinning out group. So, yeah. like, if you wanted to do that, like, you got to really get on that. But, like, yeah. I've seen there have been like Woodstock tours in recent years 
where yeah. whoever's left will scrape it together and go country Joe and the fish are still out there doing it, <laughs> you know, but like, you know, I, I think that there is still a market for it, but it's the idea of like, do you now try to compete with Bonnaroo yeah. or do you make it your own thing? Well, I mean, I think you can draw a connection between the modern festivals and, and Woodstock and to the po- a point you made earlier, like not only did we learn a lot about how to do that well by Woodstock doing it poorly in the 90s. But also, like, I I don't know that we would have Lollapalooza or Bonnaroo or, you know, without Woodstock. So I think even if it's not going in the same location, even if it's not going under the same name, like, it certainly contributed to this culture of festivals, which are, you know, very successful and I think really fun events and great things that are part of the music world and a great way for people to discover new bands. It it may not be the like cohesive we're here for peace and love kind of messaging. It's just like, come listen to music. And I think that's a, a, a much broader message, but it's also a more sustaining approach to it. Yeah. So, you know, it's a debt, it's a debt of gratitude, I suppose, that's still owed yes. to the original concept, even if that's out the window. I just think it would be neat. Like, I think they should do one. I just yeah. think that it's such a name thing that even now I think people would still do it, even though it's out in the middle of nowhere and how hard it would be to do. But so just to wrap up, I want there's one other story I wanted to share from my many Woodstocks of the last half century that I ran across that I thought was funny. So Woodstock 69, classic yep. Bethel, the whole thing, right? Yep. Uh, Woodstock uh, 79, Madison Square Garden. <laughs> Don't know why. Also, the Woodstock <laughs> reunion in 79 held out on Long Island. <laughs> this was all a thing. 89, yeah. they did go back to the original thing. Couldn't really Good. get a lot of the original acts. Uh, and then, of course, the main one in 94 in Socrates, 99 in Rome. Uh, but in with all of these, there was the other Woodstock 94. Isn't it crazy that that exists, right? Held How at the same time. That? Yeah, this was at the same time as the other Woodstock, and it was held at the original location in Bethel. <laughs> and they just did it. They were just like, whatever, we're just going to do it. We're just going to get together. It's going to be, they wanted it to be more of a, you know, to, it's the 25th anniversary of this yeah. thing. And a lot of the people who were there were saying things along the lines of like, you know, the other one is this commercial one and that's not about, and this is, that's just about making money. This is going to be about, you know, coming together and the music. And they ended up getting some like pretty good names from the original Woodstock to show up. There weren't a ton of people like they thought that it was going to be a much bigger crowd. And I think ultimately they just end up making it free because at first they wanted to try to like make it a real thing. Yeah. Then they couldn't compete with the other Woodstock, which wasn't really that far away, but they ended up with like, 12,000 people, which, you know, it's a decent-ish size little concert. Yeah. but And it went on for a couple days. They had, like, some little vendors and some local bands were there. But they did manage to get Arlo Guthrie to come by. Oh. Havens was there. Uh, Nice. This shouldn't come as a surprise. Country Joe McDonald turned (laughs) up. Um, <laughs> Melanie was there. John Sebastian was he at both of them in that? He was. He, was. <laughs> he turned up at both of them. So, like, you know, I think that I just think it's nice that like that story exists because I had no idea that this. Why would you like this? Is this other thing for the old hippies, basically, right? That I'm has surprised that they could call it Woodstock. Like, I would have expected it to be like 
Woodstuck, like W U U D S T U K, Woodstuck. I mean, like- honest to God, I found one newspaper article about this. Like, I can't even find like any real information. So they oh might have literally just called this the concert in the field. Like, this could be anything. <laughs> and they were just like, they wanted a word of mouth it around to have it on Max Yasger's farm. Like, they managed to pull this together. And I just think it's great. Like, it went on Amazing. for a couple of days. And like, it just seemed kind of like, cool it seemed kind of groovy that this took place and i'm just like kind of neat i thought the story about 94 that i read correct me if i'm wrong but i thought the story was that they did intend to do it on the original but they couldn't do it on that far like for some reason they like weren't allowed to and so they moved it to a different dairy farm that's what i heard that's what i, I read i mean i think if anything it was the same thing as 69 where like they didn't realize how many people were going to be involved and then in 94 they're like we're not doing that again because that is way too many people like it's yeah. out in the middle of the field like it's not you know it's not next to anything it's just this yeah. guy owned this farm and let them have it there like that was it so my guess is they just didn't want that yeah. but then this is a much smaller affair and it wasn't like the same super capitalists who are now running the big festival yeah they just had like kind of a bunch of old hippies who wanted to put it on and Aww, that's great i love yeah. that and it went on for a couple of days and i think that's Good just kind of neat so i'm glad that that happened the story i saw was saying that like going to Socrates, there were too many rules man it was like it was no good and the guy that they quote uh was a guy from scranton which i think is great nice. <laughs> yeah nice he's like he came up with 15 friends makes sense <laughs> let's load up the van and go up to bethel just like fantastic <laughs> so so i think that's fun i think i'm a i'm a big fan of that story being a thing uh, so i would say there's a high likelihood that you know someone who knows that guy who went 94 almost certainly yeah so he would have been he was 40 something at the time yeah he sounds like somebody who probably parties so like i would have been in bars six or seven years after that guy i'm sure i'm sure we crossed paths yeah definitely definitely. one of those 15 people is somebody who poured me a drink once yeah pub for sure 100 yeah well (laughs) woodstock 94 ah you know i think it is in a lot of ways it is the overlooked woodstock because 69 is the famous one and 99 was the disaster and 94 yeah. is just sort of the forgotten thing but without 94 you don't get 99 and you probably don't get most modern festivals because that's the yep. one that worked you know agree in just a lot of basic ways not knowing anything about like really the history of festivals making a statement that might be i'm gonna make a bold statement Uh oh. um but it was the pivot of the fest music festival into the modern era i would, I would agree with that i mean perry farrell was at uh woodstock 94 with yeah. porno for pyros and then figure Lollapalooza is going on, but Lollapalooza was again, I think still a touring festival at that point, which yeah. a touring festival is not the same thing. Like no. that's still an infrastructure thing of getting, moving everybody from city to city. Yeah. Putting up a festival in one city, I think is a much different animal. And you know, maybe you can make that case that maybe Perry sees what goes on in, in at 94 in New York. And he's like, we could have this in Chicago every year. Yep. So, you know, that, Thanks, that Perry. could be, do you have any uh, any final uh, memories of, of Woodstock 94? We've talked a lot about 99. <laughs> I know. I <laughs> so. was a little, like, I was a little young for Woodstock 94. Yeah. Um, I don't think I was really watching. Like, I kind of remember that happened, but I, I was watching MTV a lot uh, in 99, but not yeah. as much in 94. So, no, I remember that it was uh, muddy. It was pretty muddy. I, I remember thinking at the time, I was... 14 when that's going on that that was like the coolest thing i thought woodstock 94 sounded like the coolest idea and even though i lived pretty close to there i mean i was 14 there was no way i was gonna go but like i I don't think i knew anybody who was going like it seemed so far away like it always seemed like that's that's unattainable 99 was the same way like i even though by that point i was driving like i could have gone i guess it never occurred to me i was just like that's you know i'm not gonna drive all the way up there for that so yeah 
Yeah. But I'm kind of surprised that like, I don't know anybody for sure who was there, like personally. Yeah. I mean, listeners, if you know us personally and you were at one of these Woodstocks, let me know. Cause I honestly <laughs> don't know of anybody who was actually personally there. And I think it's kind yeah. of a, a weird glitch. I saw on Instagram today, uh, Pat Oswald posted a thing that he was covering Woodstock 99 for some night for MTV or for some outlet. Okay. And just how horrible it was, like, because <laughs> like he was there, like they're there getting footage and doing little interviews or whatever. And he said he would bring his footage back to like the truck to the promoters or the the, the producers, and they would just tell him, uh, "We need more tits and more fights." Oh <laughs> and he was God. like, "This is the worst thing." <laughs> like, oh yeah. So ninety nine was everything you've heard and 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 more. It was apparently the worst of, the worst of times. Terrible. So, I guess we should look up and see what was at Lollapalooza ninety four to justify why we talked about Lollapalooza so much. <laughs> Because it's a music festival. It counts. It's yeah, fine. Yeah, right. I mean, I know we're bringing our things to this. Yes. So this isn't like talking about the time I saw Chuck Negron of Three Dog Night at the Pittston Township Volunteer Firefighters Old Time Fair. Oh, my God. We're, we don't. Oh, we're not talking about Chuck Negron? I, I, I would not. But you go ahead. <laughs> no, and that's all there is to say. Again. That's the whole. That's the whole. I saw, I saw War for Free at the Great New York State Fair. Nice. Wasn't that that wasn't Speedy Fest? No, that was in Binghamton. It oh. wasn't the Great New York State Fair is like a, the Great New York State. It's like the State Fair. You know, it's a big deal. It goes for like a week or something. Oh. It's only been a couple times because it's in different city than I lived in. They didn't hold, hold that in Bainbridge? Far away. I don't, I don't know. It's in like Syracuse or Albany or Rochester or one of those. You middle. really can't pinpoint it to the point you have no idea where in the state it was. I think it's near Syracuse. If I oh. had to guess, I would say it's near Syracuse. Nope. The Speedy Fest was in Binghamton. That I, I saw Donna Lewis at the Speedy Fest and CNC Music Factory after I believe both C and C were dead. Oh my goodness. Yeah. That that's just that person who's lip syncing that. It's the music factory. That's just the factory. Yeah, that's all oh, it was. Boy. Well, all right, guys. Thanks for coming along on this journey. Yeah. Uh, it's been uh, groovy time. <laughs> hey, brother. Oh, hope you had fun. Mm, uh, uh, Casey Jones, you better watch your speed. Rad. Rad. I think you took us into the 80s with that. Damn it. (laughs) Totally tubular. (laughs) Uh, Do you want to do the outro? Uh, No, you do it this time. Uh, Peace and love, man. Very good. (laughs) I want to do a fitting outro. It works. I think it's good. Thanks, everybody. All right. Bye. This has been It Happened One Year. Please take a minute to rate us on Apple Podcasts or wherever they allow ratings. Please follow us on Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, please follow us on all relevant and irrelevant social media. See ya!